episode 32. What do you think about that, AP? I want you to name me the most popular basketball player that wore number 32. That would be Ready? Jimmer Ferdet. Absolutely. Oh, Jimmer Ferdet. That's who was on my mind. I knew you were going to say that. BYU. Right? We always we, you always sprinkle in a little BYU every episode. But okay. we have a we have a good show today. I think uh, we got some fun stuff to talk about. We got Mark Houston. He's a Washington DC lawyer. And he has his own podcast. What's the name of his podcast, Spence? Path Legal Ease. Really great podcast. Lots of good information. He specifically gets into kind of the transactional side, the business side of sports. Definitely give him a listen. Super excited to have him on today. Yeah, Mark Houston, Ath Legal Ease podcast. He talks sports law. We're going to talk to him a little later today. We're going to get into some name, image, and likeness from the NCAA and how student athletes are going to negotiate those deals. We're going to get into Major League Baseball. Uh, and their negotiations and whether good faith is going on and all that mess going on over there. And I think we're going to talk a little Kansas, a little Mississippi, some football, some NBA. What do you think, Spence? I think we should get right into it. So this is AP and Spence. We're two lawyers talking college sports, sports law. Uh, we, uh, we delve into kind of the ins and outs of what's going on in, in, in the wonderful world of college sports and specifically kind of talk about it in kind of a compliance legal perspective, right? Um, and, and so today, let's get started talking about what's going on with Kansas basketball. Now, we've been talking about Kansas basketball for a while because they got put on notice by the NCAA that they're, they're potentially being charged with five level one uh, accusations, uh, big time issues involving the Adidas and uh, Adidas and, uh, and connecting with the parents and paying the parents and paying the kids. There's some big time problems coming down for Kansas, right? Yeah, and don't forget Snoop Dogg and his stripper pole uh, concert at a halftime show of a basketball game. In the middle of the investigation. <laughs> yeah, just for, with, with, I mean, it had smoke effects. I mean, it, it was, if you haven't checked it out, it's worth giving it 10 seconds to look at. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So on top of all of that, right, the, Kansas and, and Bill Self, they're, they're in hot water right now with the NCA. So what does Kansas and, and Bill Self do? They're going on the offensive. This is unbelievable to me. So, Kansas, so Bill Self, his personal attorney, who he's hired to help him through this claim, sent what's called a tort claim notice to the NCA. What's a tort claim notice? Well, it's a, like a government agency. It could be a college. It could be, you know, um, an entity that's not like private. You know, you're not going to send that to a routine car accident, but there's certain bus companies um, that, you know, the TriMet or something to that effect. You're gonna to have to send them a notice, and you have. And, and states have different rules. Like in Oregon, it's six months. You have to send that tort claim notice that, hey, we intend to file a lawsuit against you. If you don't, and you miss that six months, uh, basically you lose your right. So they sent. So the Bill Self's attorney sent this notice to the NCAA asking them to preserve evidence, meaning they can't. You have to keep all of their communications, all of their information regarding this investigation, and letting the governing body of the NCAA know that they're potentially. Bill Self and Kansas are potentially going to be bringing legal action against the NCA for this investigation. Now, it's really interesting. Some of their arguments are really interesting. Um, but one of their arguments is that they quote uh, uh, Mike Bray, who's the, who's the coach for Notre Dame. Because the big thing right in this whole issue is, is Adidas contacting these students and potentially paying these students, would Adidas be considered a booster, right? Because if they're a booster, then that would be an impermissible benefit, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's not just that. That's what's interesting about this because, I mean, other people can give, non-boosters can give impermissible benefits too. Uh, but you can tie it to the school a little bit easier if it's a booster because now, now the school has a little more knowledge and a little more, you might be able to get them with a lack of institutional control a little bit easier. So the NCAA wants them to be boosters, but non-boosters can still give impermissible benefits. Well, what I thought was really interesting was that in their letter to the NCAA, they, they quote Mike Bray, who's the coach of Notre Dame basketball, and, and he said specifically, Every one of us works with a shoe company angle to help us get players. I speak to those guys as much as I speak to parents. So, you know, USC, for example, has a deal with Adidas Sports to outfit their players, right? Well, we have Nike. So, or Nike. Yes, yeah, so, so USC has Nike. That's true. I mean, our equipment office works with them. Uh, to and the, and the school, in general, signs a contract with Nike to outfit our players. But here's the difference. You could do this. You could tell a recruit, hey, we wear Nike here. Check out our wall of swag on all of our mannequins, and you're going to see that cool Nike gear that you're going to be able to get if you go to school here. That's different than, a, than a, an underground Adidas runner steering kids through promises of money. That's totally different, and, and they're confusing the two issues. Okay, I got you. Well, they're also kind of alleging in this, in this letter of the NCA that they're saying that, that Bill Self had zero knowledge of these payments, that he was sequestered, that he was completely, had no idea that his assistant coach and these Adidas runners were making these connections and bringing these kids in. So what do you think about that argument? Yeah, first thing he's going to lose on is head coach responsibility. Head coach, uh, a couple of years back, the NCAA got rid of this argument of, I didn't know. Every coach always said that. I had no idea. I didn't know. Nobody told me. Now you're responsible for the work that your underlings do, so to speak. Spencer, it's probably no different than an attorney. But let's say you have a paralegal or a legal assistant that's working for you and, and does something really bad. You as the attorney can end up having some problems from it, right? And, and so it's the same idea. So the head coach, even though you said, I didn't know and I didn't ask him to do, you might still have to be answering up to the bar or something for something Well, yeah, like I mean, it's similar to like a surgeon, right? So if, you, if, you, if most surgeons, right, that, that are going and actually doing surgeries, they're not doing the surgeries. It's their, it's their, uh, it's a medical student or something, someone that they're working with who's learning and they're just there supervising. But if that medical student screws up, the surgeon's ultimately responsible. So that's the same thing. Same idea. And so Bill Self here, he's going to say, I didn't know. It wasn't me. I had nothing to do with it. Head coach responsibility from the NCAA is going to pin it on him, whether he knew or didn't know, because they're going to say you should have known and been aware of what your, your athletes and what your coaches are doing. And because you didn't, I don't think that's a winning argument. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess ultimately we've seen it in the past where, where school works with the NCAA. It seems like if they have the right representation, that they're sometimes able to mitigate or lessen their damages. Yep. It seems like schools that don't have the right representation and then also go at them with full force, those schools seem to get bigger penalties. Yeah, you, yeah, because North Carolina took the approach, we're gonna lawyer up big, but we're gonna work with the NCA, and they were able to get through it with some creative lawyering. And they went aggressively at them, but it was collaborative, right? USC went at the NCA aggressively, very similar to Kansas. Like, let's do this. It's a war. You're probably going to lose that most of the time. That's usually not the – because then the, the NCA is going to say, fine, let's lawyer up. Let's do this too. We got a battle. We're not going to cut you any breaks. We're going all the way at this. And there's a lot of smoke. I mean, Kansas has a bunch of stuff going on. They have things on tape from, from coaches. 
they have you know admissions they have social media they have a lot of evidence here and so it's hard for i think kansas to say you got nothing on us i mean you're making all this crap up because the nc is not trying to lie i mean this is what they have all right well let's 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 keep following this so obviously this is just we're at the infancy of this claims i mean we know that the NCA has brought the allegations. Now we know that Bill, Sale, Bill Self and Kansas are coming back at him. It'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Yeah, and I would say, honestly, it's, it's comparable to like in a lawyer maybe gets a bar complaint and right away you're like, this is defamatory and I've never done this. The NCA, I don't think is saying we know you're guilty. They're saying these, this is what we found, this is what we heard, this is what we know, what say you? Right? They're not necessarily defaming them in a sense that, like, no, if you can justify all this and show us all the evidence, then fine. But this is what we have, and this is what we're charging you with. And so I think it's a little bit different. I just think it's an uphill battle. I think it's a, it's a tactic by Kansas that I don't think is going to win. But I don't think they have anything else. They're going to get hammered big time. I think they don't have anything else to do besides just throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. All right. Well, we'll be following it and see what happens. So here we are coming back. Uh, this is AP and Spence with two lawyers talking sports, sports law. Um, you know, so we've, we've kind of gone over the Kansas thing. Another kind of interesting thing happened this last week where the commissioner of the SEC has now threatened the, the entire state of Mississippi that they are not going to have any SEC championships in Mississippi unless Mississippi changes its flag. So now the Miss, University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State decided to stop flying the Mississippi State flag because it has a Confederate flag on the on the flag. Uh, and they stopped flying in 2016, but the state still uses the flag. So I guess my question for you, Aaron, is, is what do you what do you think about the SEC's actions here in you know bringing or making these threats? You know, have we seen this type of action before by the NCA and and conferences? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the NCAA has done stuff like this before where they don't hold championships certain places if something's kind of going on or unusual. Um, you know, they don't. It's, it's sort of a benefit to have these things held in certain states. It's not a right, you know, and if the NCAA doesn't agree with what a state's doing, um, then, yeah, they can say, hey, we're not going to do this, you know. And, and now this is, a, this is interesting. You're asking a state to change its flag. Um, that's asking a lot, um, you know, because I don't know what the state's going to do. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, when I was in law school, I wrote a, a brief or a paper about uh, mascots and specifically Indian mascots, right? You know, fighting Sioux, um, things like that, and, and, and kind of the ways they did that and got around that and the problems with it. And, um, you know, there, I think race relations um, have played a part in sports for a long time. And I think the NCA and the SEC and places like that have recognized that. And sometimes they think, we don't like what you're doing, so we're not going to honor you or we're not going to be there until you change your ways. I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah, well, when the NCA, uh, you know, made that, uh, those ch challenges to a lot of the university's nicknames, you brought up the Notre Dame Fighting Sioux. That's a perfect example. But they gave, they gave the schools an out back then, right? They said, if you can get with the tribe and, and work out some kind of a deal, you can, keep your, you can keep that as a nickname. So schools like the University of Utah, the Utes, uh, Florida State Seminoles, the Central Michigan Chippewas, they all met with those specific tribes and worked out a deal, usually money, where they would pay that tribe 
uh, an amount of money to, to allow themselves them to continue using the mascot. Other schools like Illinois and the Fighting Illini, they went completely away from the Illini tribe, but still kept the nickname. They're still the Illini. But then other schools like Notre Dame Fighting Sioux, they could not keep... Do you, do you mean North Dakota? North Dakota, yeah. I mean. I yeah. wish it was North Dakota. No, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish. See, yeah. I'm Irish. Yeah. You're yeah. Irish, too, yeah. right? Yeah, what do you think about that nickname, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? I love it, because we're fighters. That's what we yeah. are. Yeah, right? we are. It's true. So, but in North Dakota, they did not come to an agreement with the fighting, with the Sioux Nation, and therefore they had to drop their, drop their mascot. Now they're the Fighting Eagles. So it's interesting. So the NCA has done this before. Yeah. And where they say we're not happy with with this image on this flat. Now, I couldn't find anything specifically where they're telling states specifically you've got to act in a certain way. <clears throat> but, you know, Southern Miss, the the Golden Eagles, they're supposed to be hosting the Conference USA basketball tournament in 2022. That's a huge boon benefit to that city, that that state. So the NCA and, and, or excuse me, SEC specifically is saying, you better change this. It's an interesting idea. I mean, right? And I, I get that it's for the better and, and people could be offended by the flag and that sort of thing. But do you see that there's a possibility for a slippery, slippery slope here, maybe? Meaning like, like you know, what if, what if there's political affiliation? What if you have, hey, we're, we're, we only want to go to states with a Republican governor? Or Democratic governor, or or how, how far do you take it? You know, and and so this is a next step. I mean, asking a state to change its flag, um, you know. But what do you think? Is there a concern for that, or is this just kind of a one-off and it's appropriate? It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I you would think that it would be a one-off, but the, but the question is, um, you know, obviously the Confederate flag has symbolism and meaning that that is that is backwards that shouldn't be allowed. And, and should be taken down, for sure. I agree with that 100%. But, but you know, if you're telling a state, you know, to, to change its flag, that, you know, and, and if you don't, you're gonna be penalized, you're penalizing the state. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, how this happens, how this changes. Yeah, because it's not just a school. I get it for the school year, but you're going to a state, and it's almost becoming political, um, and, for maybe for good reasons. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but but it but it's interesting. I've just never seen it taken this far before. Yeah, neither have I. Uh, but it'll be. It is the only state that still has the Confederate symbol on its flag. Every other state that used to have or did have, they've all been t taken taken down. But Old Miss, for, or excuse me, Mississippi, for the for whatever reason, continues to have that uh, in its in its flag. It's it's long gone. It should be long. It should have been gone long ago, to be honest. But it'll be interesting to see how Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, decides to respond. Yeah, it's going to be strange. And I know NASCAR banned Confederate flags. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, just recently they banned the Confederate flag again, and which was a which was a big deal. There were a lot of uh, there were a lot of uh, Confederate flags. I've never been to a NASCAR uh, event, or maybe you have. But I, I never have. And uh, we, we did tour the Indianapolis 500, though. That was kind of fun. Yeah, I just walked around the magical uh, gardens and we shopped the store. But I've never been to a... a, a uh, I've never been... I'll be honest, I'm, never, I'm not a huge NASCAR fan. I can appreciate the sport and, and the skill it takes. But um, <clears throat> it's interesting. I'm curious why the Confederate flag was even connected to NASCAR. Is it because NASCAR is from the South? Is that sort of... It must be. Very popular in the South, I guess. But again, it's one of those symbols that just 
shouldn't be allowed, shouldn't be, shouldn't be what, and you know, be be used. Uh, and I think that's just that's the culture of today. That's that's the reality of of things. Things have changed for the better, yeah. and continue to change for the better. And I think that Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, needs to respond. Yeah, yeah, and maybe they'll change their flag to something more uh, appropriate, and and things will be good. But this is a, this is an interesting step. I can't wait to see what happens. All right. Well, let's um, let's uh, let's let's go to the phones. How about that? What do you think about that? Yeah, this is AP and Spence. We're two lawyers talking college sports and sports law, and we're going to head to the phones right now. All right. What does that sound mean, Aaron? It means we have a caller. That's right. And this caller, as as it always has been, is brought to us by Welch, Brun, and Green. Welch, Brun, and Green is a law firm and based in Portland, Oregon. We specialize in workers' comp, personal injury, social security disability, and what else? Collegiate sports law. Basically, we do consulting services for schools, for student-athletes, for parents, administrators. Basically, anything a compliance office could do, we could do. Give us a call, and we'll help you out. So how do they get in contact with you? 503-221-0870. That's our law firm phone number. Give us a call. Ask for Aaron or Spencer. You can also email us at collegesportsattorneys at gmail.com. Or lastly, you can go to our website, www.wbgatty.com, and all of our information is on there. Give us a call. You won't regret it. All right, here we are, AP, going to the phones, and uh, we've got Mark Houston on the phone here today. He's an he's a attorney in uh, the D.C. area, uh, and he does a lot yeah. of sports law, so we thought it'd be cool to have him on. He also has a podcast Called at lethal e- legal at legal ease. I, I knew I was going to mispronounce that, but we, but we <laughs> no thought worries. we'd have you on. Hey, Mark, how you doing? I'm great. How's it going? I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Hey, so um, so Mark, uh, as we get started, uh, we'd like you to give a little bit of kind of your background and you know where you went to law school and how you got into doing sports law. Okay, sure. I'd be glad to talk about that. So I'm an attorney, a uh, fairly recent grad. I uh, graduated from the Villanova University School of Law. Uh, currently um, practicing in Washington, D.C. Uh, with a mid-sized firm um, in which I handle a lot of uh, employment discrimination matters uh, against the various um, agencies and administrations here in the area. Uh, so that covers a, a myriad of labor and employment matters. I also handle um, a lot of the drafting, editing of employment uh, contract as well. Um, in, in addition to that, uh, sort of on the sports law side of things, I've uh, been able to carve out a niche in which I draft uh, and negotiate um, various uh, service agreements on behalf of USS, USSF certified soccer referees and assigners in the area. Um, and that's in conjunction with the uh, various travel league teams, um, sort of at the youth level. Um, for various tournaments, um, leagues, uh, et cetera. That's, that's awesome. That's really cool. I mean, Mark, uh, what, I mean, what drew you to sports initially? I mean, what, why are you interested in this field? I'm always curious when people work in sports. Uh, why sports? So, so I've, I've played sports my entire life. I mean, I played basketball, football, lacrosse, uh, you know, this, uh, at a pretty high level. I went to Damascus Catholic High School, which is a pretty big, uh, well-known powerhouse in the area. Um, and from that, uh, you know, I really, that really developed my, my love of sports. But it really wasn't until I uh, enrolled in law school um, in which I found out that there are actual, uh, you know, career paths in sports and the law. It's sort of at that intersection there. I mean, I already, I always knew about um, agents. Of course, I knew about coaches. 
didn't really understand the business side uh, much more than that um, until I got to law school, and that really sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, sort of expounded my horizons, uh, so to speak. And uh, I was able to really get my feet wet uh, with some opportunities there. Um, Villanova has a uh, center for the study of sports law. Um, so I was able to take a lot of classes uh, with a lot of individuals who, uh, you know, are pretty well polished, uh, pretty more well versed um, in sports law. Um, from that experience, I was able to participate in, in a few competitions. So there's, uh, you know, an NF, uh, NFL uh, contract negotiation. Uh, there's also an NBA contract negotiation uh, competition um, that I was able to participate in my years there. Uh, Villanova also has a um, a sports symposium um, in which we have a competition there. Uh, so it kind of brings together the sports law and the business side um, in sort of a competition, a uh, national competition. Um, so coupled with those experiences, I then was able to um, spend some time at least at, at as a legal intern um, with Excel Sports Management in New York City. Um, and so there I was able, you know, to assist with a full service uh, sports entertainment marketing representation agency, um, in which I worked with the legal um, component, in which I was drafting, editing, and reviewing various agreements and contracts, which included endorsement, sponsorship, uh, one-off appearances, um, and standard uh, player agent contracts, and standard uh, team player contracts as well. Wow, that's awesome. So how long were you there? Was that during law school? Yeah, so that was uh, during law school. This was during my 3-0 year, so I was able to uh, really carve out um, some time. Uh, the few days that I had off during the week, I sort of front-loaded um, at least my class schedule uh, during the week. So usually uh, the last couple days of the business week, I could uh, shoot up to New York from uh, Philadelphia um, and, and, and be able to assist there. Wow, that's. Uh, did you come from a family of lawyers, or are you kind of a? Uh... No, so no, so I'm the first. Uh, you know, my family to uh, to go to college, and of course, the first to go to law school. Um, but really, you know, it, it wasn't until, like I said, I got to uh, law school where I saw there was actual career path where you can kind of continue in sports. Um, and so I'm all in now. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's really cool. That's uh, well, it seems like, uh, you know, if we you know talk about a couple of subjects, you know, this whole idea of. Uh -huh name, image, and likeness at the NCAA level um, and some right. changes that are going on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what, are, what are some of the changes that you see? I mean, could you kind of articulate to people just what are, what are the changes coming and what implications do you see for student-athletes? So, I mean, really at the core of it, uh, the NCAA has really uh, carved a, a path or, or sort of laid the, uh, the foundation stepping stones uh, to allow college athletes, student athletes, to make some money off their name, image, and likeness. Um, you know, and that really ties into, you know, the right, one's right of publicity, uh, which, you know, allows one to make commercial usage of their name, image, and likeness. So here, what the NCAA is allowing, uh, of course, the university, schools and universities will not be able to pay um, the school, uh, the students. However, those students will be able to use their name, image, and likeness uh, to procure these endorsement and sponsorship agreements. Um, now, of course, there's some limitations to all of that, but really what it's doing is sort of opening the floodgates to representation in college sports. So a lot of these big agencies will start to target a lot of the college athletes who have a huge following on social media and sort of represent them um, 
in the, in that limited capacity at least. Now I'm I'm a I'm a fan of BYU. That's that's my team. They're they're a small market uh-huh. team. Aaron Aaron AP is a big fan of USC. They're the big boys. You know. Do you think that uh-huh. this new name, image, and likeness rules? Do you think they're going to benefit? Uh, bigger market teams versus smaller market teams, or do, how do you think there's going to be that interplay between the two levels of, of teams? Well, from what I've uh, been able to read into, they're not going to allow the student athletes to associate with the school at all um, in their endorsement sponsorship deals. So the students will kind of have to say, hey, you know, I'm Mark. You might know me from playing the sport of basketball, <laughs> but not necessarily with a BYU or uh, with a USC. Um, so in that instance, uh, it's really going to come down to how well-known uh, that person is. And I think it's really going to kind of depend on, you know, how well-liked that person uh, potentially is, maybe on social media. Um, there's a few um, instances. Of course, the bigger market is going to help with your face getting out there a bit more. Um, but it really all depends because if you're, a, you know, a, a top volleyball player, um, maybe at BYU, you're maybe well-known, you have a huge following in that area. That could help out a lot with the local sponsors um, and the different endorsers that might be coming your way. Um, you know, on the other hand, you know, USC, huge market. Of course, a basketball, football player, uh, someone might know them a bit uh, more. That might be easier to connect. What do you think about this? What about the idea, me as a skeptic coming from the athletic compliance world? He's a big-time mm-hmm. skeptic. You know, into this. And, and, and I'm, I'm for student-athletes being able to profit on their aim, name, image, and likeness. I just think it's going to open up a Pandora's box of problems. So let's say right. you got University of Oregon, right? you got the Ducks mm-hmm. and Nike's in their backyard. And they say, you know mm-hmm. what? Uh, I, this would be a great idea. All of the football players every year will give them a $25,000 deal uh, through mm-hmm. Nike. And, and that's just our $50,000 deal. And we're going to have them do a little endorsements and different things. We won't connect to Oregon or anything like that. It'll just be them individually. They'll say, hey, I play football in the state of Oregon or mm-hmm. you know, something to that effect. But they can see that mm-hmm. almost as like a recruiting inducement in ways where they, you know, hey, this is a cool thing we can do. Do you see it becoming a problem where it becomes sort of like boosters and entities become, they kind of start using it as like a recruiting tool or it could be abused where it's not necessarily a true endorsement, but it's kind of a mm-hmm. backdoor, day of, uh, backdoor way of getting people in, into the school? I definitely see that uh, potentially occurring in the future. I mean, I think that's really not too far. It might be even a, a stone's throw away from what uh, we see now in college sports. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think we'll talk about the uh, the Zion case pretty soon, but, you know, he's been asked to speak to uh, him being compensated to go to Duke. And we've seen uh, several instances, I mean, Reggie Bush and a litany of others um, who have gotten paid to, to go to a school. I think uh, to your point, though, yes, I think those school, certain schools will be able to use their ties uh, to maybe induce uh, to a certain extent. But I think that's where um, uh, this new name, image, and likeness rule, uh, assuming Congress is able to step in uh, to create um, a real uniform law, uh, maybe been able to uh, prevent some of that. Um, either that or they're going to leave it to the state level and uh, each state will have to enforce that accordingly. Now let's let's talk about a little bit about the Zion Williamson case because we've been following it pretty okay. pretty pretty carefully here and pretty closely. Mm-hmm. What do you mm-hmm. think the end result of this case is going to be? I mean, do you think because right now they're fighting over whether or not Zion Williamson has to answer some requests for admissions, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 a little bit of venue issue. 
What do you think the end result mm -hmm. of this case is going to be? Do you think he's going to have to answer those questions? No, I don't think so. Um, and, and actually, uh, recently the judge down in Miami actually stayed uh, the state action uh, brought by Gina Ford down in Florida. Um, so now there's sort of a venue uh, issue here and everything will be moving back to uh, North Carolina, the federal case that, uh, that Zion brought under the, uh, the North Carolina Uniform Athlete Agent Act. Right. Um, so I think he's, he's probably not going to have to answer those questions. I think um, if, it, if for some reason uh, he gets close, I think CAA and uh, perhaps his estate they're probably going to try to settle uh, before, because if we're, I think it'd be very unbecoming. I think, you know, if Duke had to, because I think if he had to answer those questions, of course, they would have to subpoena, you know, the various coaches, uh, boosters, uh, the athletic director, um, and everyone else from Duke. And I think that would just, you know, just be a, uh, you know, a real blemish uh, for college sports. Um, and, you know, that really would be on the heels of, you know, the, the NCAA and FBI probe and investigation into Adidas. Uh, and we saw how that played out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I saw that where they want to, they want to question coach K and, and a number of the Duke, uh, Duke basketball players and, and parents. And, right. and that, uh, that, that does kind of open up a Pandora's box as, as Aaron would right. say. Uh, so yeah, that's, in, that's interesting take. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I'm worried about it. You know, speaking, uh, one last little take on this uh, name, image, and likeness, one thing I was wondering about, mm -hmm. you know, if student athletes, because you used to provide some representation services, right, you know, to, to mm -hmm. athletes, yeah. and how would you foresee, you know, a Johnny uh, Smith dude that's a football player for Clemson, and mm -hmm. he's in a boardroom or, or wherever with Gatorade, and he's trying to negotiate some sort of deal, with Gatorade's mm -hmm. lawyer and marketing person and a couple of reps, and he's doing it all on his own because as the rules are written right now, he wouldn't be able to go hire as an agent. Would he be able to? I mean, do you foresee that, that that's something that could change, or how will that work? So I think this is where it's going to get tricky um, because I think the – the, the various uh, uniform agent acts that the various states have enacted, like North Carolina, I think that's going to require these athletes uh, to really engage with maybe these marketing agents. These marketing agents are really going to have to only be able to pursue these marketing opportunities um, and not be able to get into any of the, uh, the next level stuff, so where they're going to be able to play professionally. Um, so I think it's really going to be tough to – sort of narrow that down in those instances though i think it would be prudent for the college athlete to seek out some guidance or advice on how to really negotiate um these various deals um hopefully or more than likely they're going to be local sponsors that are really going to come in i think that's maybe how the ncaa is probably going to have to limit this so you might get maybe like a car a car salesman or a car dealership will come in and say Hey Zion, you used to play. You play for Duke. Uh, we want to sell these pickup trucks. Uh, why don't you come in and say you endorse our, you know, you endorse Ford Motors or you know whatever it is. Um, I think that's how that's really going to play out. Um, it, it'd be interesting to see how uh, the NCAA really tries uh, to limit that because, like uh, like we were saying, uh, this is really going to sort of open the floodgates um, and sort of representation. Um, and it's only a matter of time before uh, these big agencies come in, 
pick up a player sort of in the marketing capacity and then almost immediately try to expand into the on the court, uh, as you would say, representation as well. Yeah, and it sounds like, Mark, you're, you, me, and Spencer are going to finalize our agency that we're putting together just for <laughs> <Yeah>. this, right? <laughs> uh, I, that's the future, man, right there. Well, it seems to me like if the NCA would allow a, agents to get involved in a limited basis yeah. only to help negotiate, mm-hmm. that seems like – because you can't get into the situation where you're allowing agents to help them you know, prepare for the N- NBA draft or NFL draft or whatever, right? right? So – You'd have to allow them just specifically to negotiate these deals. That that could get a little tricky. Right. Yeah, I I just think think it's a great idea. It's just going to get, I mean, compliance is going to have their hands full because, man, you're going to be dabbling in in a razor's edge between impermissible and permissible activities. And it's going to be hard to monitor this. Um, But we'll see what happens. Yeah, and and, and to your point, um, there's actually uh, in some of the. the uh, the rules, the recommendations uh, that the NCAA uh, study group came out with is that uh, each of these deals that the student athletes engage in, they'll have to fully disclose that to the university's compliance department. And so that'll have to be, you know, all the terms of the deals, the money exchange, you know, the terms, et cetera. Um, and so, of course, one can see how, you know, a student athlete could get into trouble if for some reason a bigger athlete gave them a little bit more money to, say, let us work on this marketing deal, and then you ultimately sign with us after your one-and-done year. Yeah, I, yeah. So we'll I, see. I, I think there's going to be a lot of that. And then you're going to have compliance officers. Not all of them are lawyers, by the way. You know, as you know, I mean, some right. of just NBAs or, or went to sports management programs, they're going to be navigating complex contracts to see if it meets the terms and rules. It can be tricky. I, you know, I, just, I, I think it's a yeah. great idea. We're going to figure it out. It's just going to have some growing pains. Uh, for for right. for a period of time, but we'll see. Um, so I guess moving on to the next uh, kind of uh, potpourri of topics we have here that are exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is going on with Major League Baseball? First of all, do you think we're going to see a season? And if so, what do you think it's going to look like? Wow, I mean, this see, this is tough. Um, you know, and and I've discussed this a little bit on my podcast. Uh, what the meaning of uh, negotiation and good faith really is, um, and it seems as though the parties are really caught up on the money. Um, it seems to be sort of uh, thinly veiled in the, you know, amount of game. Uh, however, it seems either neither side can really come to an agreement as to how the players are going to get paid. Um, the MLBPA, they want full prorated salary, uh, whereas the uh, MLB, the owners, um, are, are tying uh, player compensation and payment to fan attendance, uh, which obviously would be down uh, because no, there could be no fans uh, to attend any of these games. So they're almost at a stalemate. I saw today um, that the MLB turned down uh, the MLBPA's recent 70-game uh, proposal. And that proposal actually included a waiver of, uh, of the grievances uh, from the March uh, agreement, which the MLB actually requested. So... At this point, it doesn't seem like we'll have a season. How, how does it work? I'm curious. I mean, what does it specifically mean for the listeners that don't know if, if salary is prorated? What, what does that mean? That just means like, hey, you only get paid for the, you know, your salary shrinks to the length of the season. Is that basically it? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's really the issue is um, under the March agreement, the MLB and the MLBPA agree to schedule as many games as possible. Um, and as time goes on, of course, fewer and fewer games can be scheduled. So at this point, 
Uh, they've gone back and forth um, with the amount of games. I think there was an 80 uh, a game season proposal. There's been a 40 game proposal. Obviously, the MLB wants fewer games. It seems like because they'll they'll pay less to the players ultimately uh, in total compensation, whereas the MLBPA uh, wants as many games as possible. So obviously one can see the difference between, you know, a 76-game season, how much those players will be paid, versus a 40-game season. So I'm curious, what clause are they using in the player contracts? For, for example, let's say a player is signed for $10 million for this season. Um, is mm-hmm. it like a force majeure? I mean, what, what, what avenue are they getting at right now where they don't have to pay that player for their contracted year for the year? So I don't even think they're relying on any clause. I think um, what they really would be getting at, uh, of course, would be the force majeure clause, um, which would probably state, I would have to look at the, uh, the MLB uh, CBA and see what it says. But obviously that would allow the MLB or the MLB PA to, uh, to sort of tear up the collective bargaining agreement for that season. So essentially that's kind of where we are. And they uh, preliminarily at least, uh, agreed in March um, to a new set of to a new agreement, essentially as to how this season would operate. Man, and wow. so failure to really abide by that um, agreement is really the 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 issue here, the concern here. But I think what's uh, interesting to point out, or or pertinent to point out, is that the MLB is leaving out the payments from the TV rights uh, and the streaming rights. Um, and they're not really trying to tie that in to player compensation uh, as they are with fan attendance. So I don't know. I mean, I'll leave it up to you guys to decide, uh, you know, who or 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 which side is is or is not negotiating in good faith. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious to know what the study is to show fan attendance and 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 the dip or uh, in fees. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you could prove that there's mm-hmm. no fans. Um, I would like to know that study of how, what, how much do the owners not take in? You know, what does that cost them? Yeah, well, the, the owners are, are claiming now that they're going to suffer a, a loss of about $4 billion. Okay, with a B. <laughs> yeah, with a so, B, with a, B, a big B. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> that's a, I mean, I, I, you know, I, me being a, a you know, small market BYU fan, yeah, I, I'm for the players. Aaron, Aaron being USC, he's more for the owners, you know, because he's a big, big market mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. You know, when you think of BYU, by the way, you think big market, right? You think that's a national brand. I mean, Salt Lake City, they got fans <laughs> everywhere. I think absolutely, of, absolutely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think them is like, I mean, that, and the USC is just a small surfing school. Oh, I mean, on. anyways, yeah, they're one of those, you know, uh, one of those. They play in one of those. Those cities out west, right? Yeah, I mean, west of the Rockies. Who cares? Los Angeles or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, hey, so this has been uh, Mark Houston here on the on the podcast today. Uh, he's got a podcast himself at Legal uh, Ease. So, what what kind of yeah. topics do you cover on your podcast, Mark? So, my podcast at Legal Ease. Uh, basically, what I do is I delve into some of the transactional sports business side. Um, with the uh, big breaking news for the for the week uh, and try to delve into that a little bit. I try to break things down, um, take it from such a high level overarching uh, in the cloud sort of discussion that we usually get, and I break it down into layman's terms a little bit. So the motto we like to go with is at Legal Ease, the sports law podcast, 
to strictly to be enjoyed at your athleisure. Oh, nice. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, we'll have to give it a listen. I mean, Thanks. listeners out there, make sure you give that a listen too. Check out Mark yeah. Houston, uh, attorney from D.C., man. How, how, are, how are things yeah. over in D.C.? Things pretty smooth and calm? Uh, uh, things are, I think, getting a bit more smooth. Um, been crazy, uh, you know, a little while with the, uh, you know, the climate and everything. But, uh, you know, hopefully we get uh, things back to normal and uh, we'll get sports back to rolling again. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm curious, by the way, what teams do you support in D.C., if any? I love all the teams. I love all the teams. We have some. We have some issues. We should work it out. Uh, but you know, Caps. You know, can't complain. The Caps won recently. The Nat. The Nationals won recently. Um, we just got to get the Wizards and uh, and the Redskins on board. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here's open. Here's open. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks good. a lot for jumping on today, Mark. We really appreciate your time. I hope you're having a a great day and uh, and a, and a, and you have a good weekend. All right. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Take yeah. it easy. See you, Mark. See you. Bye. Mark Houston. All right, so this is AP and Spence. We just got off the phone with Mark Houston. Great conversation with that guy. Uh, super, super impressed with his knowledge and his, um, his ability to kind of break down complicated legal matters. Uh, you know, he did a really good job explaining them. Yeah, you can tell he's kind of a pro at doing the podcast. He's done podcasts before. He's an attorney, you know, well-spoken, had a lot of knowledge, could break things down. It was fun having him on the podcast. And he shared some stuff that I didn't know. I mean, some of the stuff about the MLB and what they got going on. And, and uh, you know, I my personal opinion on that is um, I could see as a player being pretty frustrated. You know, you have a short playing window you make several million dollars during the short period of time. You work really hard your whole career, and suddenly you're making no money. They're trying to like take away the whole season, and, and you're going to be frustrated. I totally get it. Uh, but I can understand owners, too. I mean, I, I, they're, hey, look, we're lo- hemorrhaging money with a $4 billion with a B, and we can't afford to write all these massive checks. And so it's, it's over money, but we, I do hope that there's some sort of a season. But it seems like it's starting to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle where I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't think, you know, I don't think the MLB really ever recovered from their last lockout. You know, I think MLB is the one of the major sports that that the more you play, the more fans you get there, the more excited. But if you start playing these types of games, the, the fans are going to blame the players, I think. Yeah. They're not going to blame the owners. And and it's not and and so I think ultimately they need to come to some kind of resolution because if they don't have a season this year, it could really affect them next year. Yeah, I think so because it feels like the MLB sort of fallen behind the NFL and the NBA quite a bit. Yeah, this is our national know. pastime, supposedly. Right? Yeah, supposedly, but it's you know it's the games are running really long. I think the younger generation quite, hasn't quite gotten onto it as much as they have football and basketball, and the NBA start or the uh, MLB is starting to become I think third. Uh, um, and they got to be careful of that because if all of a sudden they don't have a season this year, people kind of stop following a little bit, and maybe next year's impacted. You know that can end up hurting the players. These ten-year, four hundred million dollar contracts, that sort of thing, those might be kind of uh, go by the wayside a little bit. The salaries go down, the fan attendance goes down. Maybe expansion doesn't happen to Portland or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think no matter what for the players, they got. I wouldn't worry if I were those players. You're already most of you are already millionaires as it is. Gosh, give me sixty games. Let's get something on the books. Let's have a season, and then we're going to worry about catching up next year. It's easy for me to say. I get it, but 
you know, that would be my thought. These aren't people that are making 60 grand a year, 70 grand a year, 50 grand a year, scraping by with 60 bucks in the bank. Most of those people are well taken care of. They could probably survive a small earning season. Let's get, I mean, uh, 60 games is what? Like that's a third of the season. Yeah, about. You know, so if you're making, you know, you know, let's see, $12 million a year, you're going to make $4 million for those games. It's still a lot of money. And let's have a season. That's what I'm hoping for as a fan. Well, and, and I'm hoping as a fan, as you always say, football is the prince, right? Football, no, that's not what you say. Football's king in America, and I keep saying this over and over. No, I mean, look, coronavirus and football don't mix. Football, college football is headquartered in the south of the United States. The, S- the SEC runs football. Yeah, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, that's where, and Georgia. That's where, and if you notice, those states are wide open. They're right-leaning states, and they're playing football. They do not want to hear about coronavirus. They're going. Now, they understand that you're going to have to put some kids probably in some bubbles. There's going to be people, some people getting sick. That's causing shockwaves through the whole United States where these schools are going to have to sort of get on board with what the South is doing. I'm sure the West Coast doesn't want to play football right now. A lot of the governors, you know, think about it. Washington, Oregon, and California are all blue states, right? They all have Democratic governors. And there has been a political divide. I mean, people can deny it, but it's true. Republican states have opened faster than Democratic states. And there's, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because Trump, as the Republican president, says, hey, it's not as big a deal as maybe others. Maybe there's a political divide. Maybe it's, it's science. I have no idea. I'm no expert in this area. But it definitely there's some sort of political divide, and it kind of is going across football lines as well. But I'm telling you, football's going to happen, whether it happens with no fans, half capacity. I mean, USC's moving forward. They're, they're telling their fans they're going to be in the stands. Oregon's moving forward. Now, granted, if there's some massive spike all of a sudden in August and everybody's testing positive, there's all kinds of problems, that might change something a little bit. But obviously, our, we're going to have more people testing positive if there's more tests happening. And then if, if we're opening up, there's going to be more people getting it. Um, right now, everyone sees that as like Ebola. You know, hey, somebody got a coronavirus. Let's, just, you know, but the truth is, Spence, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one of us had it. You know, who knows? Maybe yeah. we were asymptomatic. It's hard to say. So I think football's going to go. You heard Trump say today on his Twitter, I think it was today or yesterday, that Fauci doesn't work for the NFL and the NFL's going to go. And they're going to have a good plan in place, and there's a ton of money at stake. What do you think? Is football going to go? Well, that that specifically that quote was because Dr. Fauci was on Dan Patrick the Dan Patrick yesterday show yesterday, and and Fauci specifically said that he's doubtful that the NFL and the and and NCAA football will go in the fall as scheduled. That's what he said. It's doubtful, and you know I I'm concerned that you're already seeing little cracks in some of these states, some of these schools, saying, well, we need to think about this. The Pac-12, for sure, being West Coast schools, uh, is, there's, you're already seeing governors, coaches, commissioners, saying, well, maybe we need to step back and think about this. I hope it goes, because I was super excited for BYU's schedule this year. I know you were excited for USC's schedule starting with Alabama at the start of the season, BYU was starting with Utah. This, you know, we, we, we had a great shot at ending our long history of losing to Utah that we've had over the last nine years. So I was hoping, I was hopeful, but I, I honestly am growing more and more concerned. And the way they're talking now is similar to the way they were talking about March Madness, right? At first it was, March Madness is gonna go, 
then it was no fans, then it was gone, right? Where are we right now? We're still in that, there's concern. You can hear there's concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, though, I think this one's going to be different. I, I really do. I think that the SEC is no way going to shut down football. It's just, I mean, you would have to have the President of the United States say you can't play. It's going to have to come to that. Um, those states are not going to shut down. Uh, and, and football's king, and that runs those programs. And so they're almost going to run as their essential services. You might as well say Alabama football's target. You know, I mean, that, that, I mean I'm telling you, they're going to have a hard time. <laughs> so this is, I mean, they are Home Depot. So, you know, now, who knows, right? I mean, may may come to a situation, but did Home Depot shut down or Target? No. Those, they, they do not. And, and so I think football's going to be the same, but it's going to be tricky because you're going to have parents, you're going to have... Uh, health experts. So we'll see what this ends up looking like. It's not trending. All of a sudden, the, the media is kind of uh, mentioning that there's more uptick in, in cases recently, right. know, for whatever reason. And specifically, you know, I think of University of Texas recently had 13 players test positive. They had to quarantine 23 players. There's been some people, there's been some players test positive at Alabama and at other schools, Florida State, that have allowed kids to come back and start doing you know involuntary or excuse me voluntary workouts and you're seeing an uptick already in students now how serious they are how how dramatic their symptoms are we have no idea we just know that we're getting positive tests yeah it's, and what, what, here's the scary thing then spence what do you think about this and when fauci says there's no guarantee we're ever going to have a vaccine so if he comes out and says hey we couldn't figure out a vaccine we don't really have a clear medicine what do you do? Yeah, then uh, you might be looking at uh, cancellation of a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, or we just learn to live with it. Yeah, herd, and, herd immunity is yep, a real thing. Yep, yep, and just say, you know, but here's the thing, though, too, uh, you know, international sports are getting ready to go. That's right. Right? Italy's doing some stuff. Spain's doing, doing some stuff. France. So those countries have figured it out. You know, China is trying to figure out some stuff going so I think America can figure this out too. Just this fall might be a little dicey. We're gonna to have to figure it out. But my gut still tells me it's this is different than March Mass. The people I've talked to, um, I, I think that we're football's gonna go. But my guess is, uh, you know, fans in attendance. But it's gonna be you have to wear a face mask. Uh, they're gonna have sub sections separated. It's gonna be real sparse. I would wear a hazmat suit to yeah. watch games. So I, I, that's fine with Yeah, me. right. And I, and I think that's going to happen. I think and the players are going to have to sign a waiver like, hey, you understand the risk. You don't have to play. We're going to honor your scholarship. But if you choose to play, you're going to get tested every day and we're going to keep you in a bubble. And uh, dorms are going to be set up kind of separate. They're going to have a uh, gap in dorms. They're gonna have, it's going to be real creative. But I think that it's still going to go. That's, that's my thought. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on all these other stories we've been following today. This is AP and Spence with two lawyers talking college sports, sports law. Uh, hope you had a great. Uh, hope you have a great weekend. Good week. Enjoy the weather. Uh, let's 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 have some fun. Yeah, and and for all the fathers out there this weekend, enjoy a little time with your kids if you can, and you have them around. Uh, good job being a good dad. Happy Father's Day. Likewise.